0: If you have your Bibles, you can go to Isaiah 51. I want to continue our our study this morning, our teaching on being pioneers of revival, the spirit of a pioneer. Last week, we took a look at four things that every pioneer of revival will face, and really anybody who ventures out in anything in their Christianity will face. That was giants of intimidation. How many of you remember when we face giants of intimidation, we don't allow them to intimidate, intimidate us. We look them straight in the face and say, Goliath, today your head is going to roll. I'm going to cut your head off and I'm gonna, and we're going to be victorious over you today. And we've got to have that tenacity. So the giants of intimidation, mountains of unbelief, there's, we're all going to face mountains of unbelief and then the religious control folks are going to tell you how to Go up, around, and down, around, and dig through all of those mountains. They're going to tell you how to do it. And then there's the cost. There's a cost that has to be paid. So we took a look at that last week. If you didn't get that message, you can get it on the podcast. But today I want to take a look at mountain movers. The pioneers of revival have to become mountain movers. If there are any mountain movers here today, Jesus said, Speak to the mountain, be thou removed. Well, your faith is about as big as an ant this morning. Let's try that again. <laughs> Jesus said, look at that mountain and be thou removed. Yeah, and it will what? Be cast into the sea. Anybody faced any mountains before? A lot of times we, we, we interpret that scripture through our experience. And we say, well, I spoke to that mountain, I spoke to that mountain, I spoke to that mountain, and it didn't move. And so therefore those mountains just are. Jesus meant that figuratively. And that's, that's how we justify it. We, just, we take a religious approach to that. Well, Jesus meant that figuratively. No, I believe that Jesus, when he said speak to be removed, he meant speak and it'll be removed, period. Now, you can't go speaking out of your own presumption and what you want, your own desires, we have to speak by faith. Faith produces that mountain being removed, not our presumption. So we have to come into alignment by faith with what God is saying, But that's you saw that happen this morning, you saw that happen this morning. The the girl with the with the leg problem, the knee problem. All we simply do is, and very simply, those of you that have received prayer, we don't take, we don't pray over your sickness. We tell it to go. Jesus didn't say pray for the pray for the sickness to leave. He said lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. There's a difference. We speak to sickness, go. I'm going to talk about this in a moment. And so we speak to it and tell it to go. And that's exactly what we did. Pain, go. And the pain left. Knee healed in Jesus' name. And the knee was healed. Why is that? We have to learn how to speak to our mountains. We have to learn how to move the mountains out of the way. You know, Elijah, when he walked into a city, the atmosphere changed. When Samuel came into a city, the atmosphere changed. When Peter came into a city. They, when Peter came into the city, they lined up their sick and their demon-possessed along, along the street so his shadow might follow. You know, the Pope mobiles got nothing on, on Peter. They, they just lined him up, and Peter would walk through, and his shadow would just heal him. You got Paul and Silas. It was said of Paul and Silas that these are the men that turn the world upside down. We ought to have the testimony, you and I ought to have the testimony that we turn our world upside down. Amen. We have become so placated and pacified by religion and, and we don't want to stir any waters. We're so afraid of causing any, any trouble in the, in the land. We, don't, we want to be peaceable and I believe that we need to be peaceable. But there's also a place where we rise up and walk in the authority that God's given us. <clears throat> that doesn't mean <clears throat> that doesn't mean that we you know go along and cause trouble. it means that we walk in the authority that's been given to us by God. I want to take a look at isaiah fifty one here, and this is not in my notes, so I'm just kind of jumping around here. so for those of you that are following me along <clears throat> isaiah fifty one three says <clears throat> for the lord will comfort zion he will comfort all of her waste places everybody say all, all. <clears throat> he will comfort all of her waste places he will make her wilderness like eden and her desert like the garden of the lord have you, anybody been through a wasteland before yeah. anybody ever experienced the wasteland but god's promise to you is that he's going to restore that and he's going to he's going to comfort all of those places and joy and gladness will be found in it. You know, joy and gladness always accompany revival. Joy and gladness always accompany revival. When God begins to awaken and stir hearts and the lost are found, joy and gladness are found in the middle of all of that. Thanksgiving and the voice of Melody. There, as I was saying earlier... You know, I think a lot of times when it comes to revival, we think revival is an event. We schedule out time, we go through, you know, we have to have some special great meeting, there's got to be this or that and we get a we get a mindset of what revival is. And I would say to you that it's not about this spectacular event. Revival is not about the spectacular. It's about allowing God to transform our heart, change our lives, awaken us. You know, there's quite a, there's a frustration. There's a stirring. There's a discontentment in the body of Christ right now for more of the Lord. There are those that are tired of religion as status quo, that are pressing into God for something more, something significant, and they're not satisfied with religion. They're not satisfied with church as normal. And for those, God is, God is drawing them in and he's revealing himself. That's what's, that's what's happening here. That's what's taking place. Those that are hungry, those that are thirsty, those that are desperate for the Lord are pressing into God and they're encountering God in whole new ways. And then there's those who, who are, are looking for the event you have those in, in the crowd that are just looking for a spectacular event that they can hang their hat on and say, that's revival, and I'll participate in that. All the while, they're missing what God's doing in the here and now. And then you have those that just want to spectate, and they're not going to be involved no matter what you do. They may not even be born again. Really? Because when, when you're born again, your, the affections of your heart change. And you want the things of the Lord. You have a desire for the things of God. And so, how many of you know that devils come to church too? <laughs> I've seen them. I've had to cast them out. So I know they come to church. <laughs> but God wants to bring revival. He wants us to understand the authority that we walk in. And begin to be the people that pioneer the path for others to follow. This is why I think Night of Hope is so important. Night of Hope is, is changing the DNA of our church. And this is what I mean by that. It's affecting the DNA of our church. One of the things that, that I mean by that is that it is connecting power with purpose. <coughs> and what, you know, a lot of times we... In, in Pentecostal circles especially, we experience the power. Oh, we want the power. We want the goosebumps. We want the, we wanna, you know, whatever. You know, I've said it before. If it was all about the falling on the floor, then let's all line up, fall, and go home. We'll be good. <laughs> but we want, we want the power, you know. We're Pentecostals. We want the power. Send the power, Lord. But there's a purpose connected with that power. Right. And it's reaching out to the lost, the hurting, and the broken, and connecting them with the life-changing power of God. And so Night of Hope is changing our DNA in that, is that it's helping us understand the connection between the power and the purpose. It's also developing new leaders. You know, the the church is, is only sustained by the level of leadership that we develop. If it's all about the man with the pulpit and the microphone, we're in trouble, friends. <laughs> Each of us, the Bible says that the work of the pastor, the work of the minister is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You all out there, you hear what I'm saying? So we're equipping you, we're training you to walk in the authority that God's giving everyone in this room is a leader. Some of you don't believe that. I, I see that. But, but everyone in this room has influence and effect on someone. Each of you are called to be disciple makers. Yeah. Right. Every one of you are called to make disciples. And so the, the, D, the DNA of our church is being affected because we're realizing that through Night of Hope. That it's not just about the pastor. I actually have very little to do with Night of Hope. Mandy, who's our, our director, has actually very little to do with Night of Hope. We have a team of leaders that actually carry out and do all the work, <laughs> that are training their teams to do the work of the ministry. The other thing, the other reason why I think that Night of Hope is so important, I'm just highlighting Night of Hope as an example of, of why we're pioneering. We, and Night of Hope is a great example of pioneering and doing a new thing. The other, the other reason is because we're releasing a sound of hope night of hope even though we're giving out tangible substance that's and that's all great but what what is actually being released is a sound of hope there's how many of you know without hope the bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick and there we have a sick world around us we have a heart sick world around us that has no hope I was doing a funeral yesterday, and you could see, you know, it was just a room full of sinners. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to preach Jesus and preach salvation, and that's what I did. I love it. We well, are going to know before you leave this place that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, period. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't, I don't get messed up with all that modern humbo-jumbo that you just got to whatever. Uh, you're going to know Jesus. You got to know Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And uh, But the hopelessness, you can see it in their eyes, you can see it in their life. People that you work with, you go to school with, that around you, you see the hopelessness in them. And as believers, we need to release, and that's what we're doing with Night of Hope, we're releasing a sound of hope. Now, I'm going to talk in a minute about the power of the sound that we're releasing, but I want to take a look at Isaiah here. Isaiah, let's see, here, 35 says the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even in joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. I want to tell you today, I want to prophesy over you, proclaim over you. Some of you need a change of scenery. (laughs) You've been living in the wasteland far too long. You've been living in the desert far too long, and the Lord wants to cause rivers to flow in your desert. He wants to cause the rose bush to begin to bloom and new blossoms to come out in your your desert land, in your waste place. It's time for a, a, a garden of the Lord to be established. It's time for the garden. of Eden to be established in your wasteland. Hallelujah. Some of you need to tune in this morning. The Lord wants you to get out of your desert places. (laughs) You need to get out of your wasteland and step into the fruitful place of the Lord. Step into the fruitful place of the Lord. You know, sometimes though, pride keeps us out of the desert, keeps us in the desert and out of the blessing. Pride becomes the the resister. God says in James 4, 6 that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you, when you, res, when you are, are prideful, God resists you. The resistor's turned on in your life. And you wonder why the anointing's not flowing or why you don't feel the presence of God anymore in your life. Well, pride will keep you out of the anointing, out of the presence of the Lord. Y'all hear what I'm saying? The very thing that we need, the very thing that we need to be pioneers, the very thing that we need to, to launch out into the deep and let down our nets for a catch, the anointing, the presence of God, the power of God to get the job done, the very things that we need, pride turns off and shuts off in our life. So we've got to humble ourselves. Now let me ask you this. Do you think that God is going to move and do something supernatural in the sophisticated church or the church that's all about the professionalism and all of the... No, I don't think God... I think God's going to move through the means that he's established. I think he's looking for a church, as in Second Chronicles 7.14, that will humble themselves and pray and seek the Lord. They will be intercessors that will come before the Lord and begin to pray and begin to proclaim the word of the Lord and begin to declare the things of God over their life. I think that's where God's going to move. I think God's looking for people that will humble themselves and pray and begin to worship and to step into a place of intimacy with Him. But we get stuck in our pride. We get stuck. We've got to figure God out. Well, if revival's going to happen, let me calculate how this is going to look. We want to come up with a formula. We want put, to put God into our form. God doesn't operate by formulas. God doesn't, do, God doesn't do formulas. We want to we be able to understand the, the expanse of what God wants to do so that we can figure it out before it happens. You know, I was talking to a pastor this week, and uh, this, this minister, he and I were talking, great man of God. And uh, it, was, it was interesting because, you know, we both were saying the same thing. It was awesome. And we were, you know, it was one of those meetings where you talk to somebody and you just get more excited the more you talk because you're both on the same page. You're like, yeah, I got it. Yeah, you're awesome. It was one of those kind of meetings. And we were talking about the reality that people want, pastors specifically, want to be able to teach their people into an experience with God. They want to teach their people into it. And I think that God's trying to get us back to a place as the New Testament church was where we don't have to teach into experience, we teach about experience. How many of you, when you got born again, fully understood justification, sanctification, propitiation, spiritual adoption, (laughs) glorification, atonement, or you just heard a preacher tell you or someone tell you that you need Jesus Christ in your life, that he is the way, and then all of a sudden faith was produced in your heart. By what was said and you were born again. Now some of you looking at me have been saved for 50 years and still don't understand propitiation, atonement, justification, sanctification, all that. (laughs) If you don't, you need to go to my wife's class on Sunday mornings. She has a great class called Growing in God's Word. You'll understand what all those things mean. Faith is not dependent on our knowledge. God is the producer of our faith. God produces faith in our heart. And so it is not about us having to teach everybody to understand something before it happens. I say, God, help me be the pastor that knows the word so that when it does happen, I can go to scripture and say, this is what the Lord says about what's taking place. And what happens then is we get into a place with the Lord that we encounter him. He does something in our life and it it drives us to scripture. Right? Right. Everybody look this way. When, When you have an encounter with the Lord... And He does something in your life. It drives you, ought to drive you to the Word so you can discover what God is saying through His Word in that experience. (coughs) And then when you do that, you discover the God of the Bible. You discover the God of His Word. And and it's living and it's active. And then it drives you further into an experience with God. You see God in Scripture and you say, Oh, this is what the Lord says about Himself. I want to experience that. I want to go deeper. Amen. Amen. I want us to take a look at <clears throat> the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. <clears throat> God wants to redeem things in your life. He wants to take the deserts, He wants to take the wastelands and redeem those things in your life. When the pioneers set out to charter uh, unchartered territories, and they would come to the mountains, to the impasses, to the challenging situations. They'd have to leave behind things that they didn't need anymore. They'd only, they, could, they knew if they were going to go forward, the only thing they could take with them is the very things that sustained their life. All of the sentimental comforts had to get left behind and they could only take what was going to help them make the rest of the journey. And I say the same to you. We need to take a look and examine in our lives what is it that God's wanting us to lay aside, lay behind so that we can climb the mountain, that we can step in To the places that God has us to go. What is it in your life that God is trying to work his redemptive power in? You know, a lot of times the the enemy will try to get us distracted. He wants us to get us focused. He wants to get us focused on the ugliness and the sin and the depravity around us. And it keeps us from laying those things aside and moving on. Well, I'm just a horrible Christian. I'm 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 just defeated all the time. I'm I'm never good. I'm never and and I get it. You're full of everything vile and ugly. That's what the Bible says. Your heart is deceitfully wicked and it's full. But the Lord's transforming you, isn't he? The Lord's changing you, isn't he? The Lord's doing a sanctifying, he ought to be doing a sanctifying work in your life. Then lay aside the ugliness, get up from the altar, the bloody altar where you've crucified everything and keep stabbing the poor animal to death, it's dead, you've crucified, get up and go on. Leave the altar and walk in victory. You all hear what I'm saying? What you marry is what you reproduce and the enemy wants you to marry the curse he wants to reproduce lies and patterns of lies in your life. That's why in Ephesians 6, the, the, Paul told us to gird our loins with the truth. Why? Because if, you're, if you don't gird your loins with the truth, you'll start having intimacy issues with lies. And all of a sudden, you start reproducing lies and patterns of behavior around those lies in your life. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to get married off to the curse and not walk in in a relationship with God, in intimacy with God. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That word know is the word genosco. It means to know by intimate experience. You can either know by intimacy the curse or you can know by intimacy the truth. It's your choice, but you will live according to what you marry. God wants you to walk in victory. He doesn't want you being bound up to the lies and the, and, the, and the hurts and things of your past. He wants you to step into a season of victory in your life. How do we sustain this atmosphere of the redemptive power of God? David figured this out. He had for 33 years the tabernacle. The tabernacle of David for 33 years. It was perpetual praise and worship. How do you sustain an atmosphere of the redemptive power of God in your life, in your marriage, in your church, in this community? It has to happen and will only happen by creating an atmosphere as David created in his tabernacle. And what was that? There are three things. The Psalms Psalms are a record of that. There are three things that we can see in the Psalms. There was proclamation. They began to declare the praises of the Lord. They proclaimed the glory of God. They proclaimed the prophetic words of God. They they were intercessing. They were intercessing. They were interceding. They were intercessors. (laughs) They were praying. They were releasing prayers and standing in the gap on behalf of the nation. And then there was worship. They were people of worship. They were offering worship and exaltation to God. What is worship? It's a place of intimacy with God and exalting God. That was what was happening in the tabernacle of David. And that's how we sustain an atmosphere of the redemptive power of God in our church. We have to begin to release the sound of heaven. You know, Grace, Grace was dancing all over my message this morning on, in worship. And I don't know that she knew that. <clears throat> but She kept saying this phrase, and I don't know if we always understand, you know, we hear things and, oh yeah, that sounds good, and we just thought, but she kept saying, release the sound of heaven. Release the sound of heaven. Each one of you here today have the sound of heaven on the inside of you that needs to come out. It needs to come out. Psalms 47 says, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with the voice of grumbling and complaining. No, it doesn't. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph, a voice of victory. You're releasing. There's an anointing on the sound that you release. Yeah. There's an anointing on the sound. Psalms 98.4 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. As you and I begin to release this sound, there's an anointing on the sound. Now, let me explain this. The, in, the, in the Scripture, when there was a battle... Who went out first? The praisers. The choir. The dancers. The singers. Begin to go out. And would they sing? The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. And they would stand out and they would prepare the way for the army that was coming. And they would sing out and worship out. In other words, they were rehearsing for a future battle. They were beginning to declare in the present the victory of the Lord over the future. You and I need to begin to declare and proclaim the victory of the Lord, the power of God in our present over our future. Stop living in the past. Let me say this. If all you do when you come to church is you got to clap and shout your way out of your bad week over the past, you've missed your purpose. If, all of, uh, if worship for you is just trying to get out and encourage yourself over the horrible week you just had, you're missing the purpose of God in your worship. Yeah. Our worship is declaring, it's proclaiming the victory of the Lord over our city. It's proclaiming the presence of God over our church, over your life. Amen. It's, it's beginning to intercede and stand in the gap on behalf of the hurting and the broken that are around us. Yeah. And it's beginning to worship the Lord and step into intimacy with God. And listen, God's redeemed you out of your past. Why would you live, why would you live someplace that the Lord was crucified to keep you out of? Do you hear what I'm saying? Why would, you, why would you waste the blood and sacrifice of the Lord to stay in your past? Pioneers look ahead and they say, I've got a great work ahead of me. I'm too busy about a great work. I'm moving on. Come on. Let's declare the word of the Lord over our city. I know that happened. And I it didn't feel good when that happened. And that person did me wrong or whatever that situation is. But I'm not staying there. I've got a greater work ahead. Yeah, that happened. Thank you, Lord. That's in my past. Lord, I bless them. I bless my enemies. Yeah. And I'm moving on. I declare the goodness of the Lord. I declare that the power of the Lord is coming on this city. And he's changing this city. He's transforming this city. I'm going to start speaking to to my mountains. Yeah. When, you, when you get into that place of recognizing the authority of the Lord in that situation, it, you start proclaiming and declaring mountains. You got to go. Cancer, you, gotta, you have a boldness and recognize the authority that God's given you. Let me, under, let me help you understand this. Authority is the authorization to use what God's given That's you. Right. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Go. In other words, there was a transfer of authority when Jesus left. He said, greater things you'll do. Yeah. I haven't, Jesus, I haven't had the, the privilege to be able to do some of the things you're going to do. You go. My authority, I release to your life. The authorization to use the power that you're about ready to receive, I give you. And then he looked at him and said, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Don't leave. Wait for the promise of the Father. And then the power was the weapons or the equipment to get the job done. <clears throat> he says, go and go in Jerusalem. Don't don't leave. Get the power. Get the get the weapons to accomplish the mission. Get the equipment to accomplish the mission. And the mission Jesus gave us was to go and make disciples to preach to all nations. Authority, Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through nineteen. Let me give you some verses for those that are taking notes. Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through nineteen, John fourteen, twelve. He gives us power, Acts one eight. He gives us our mission in Acts one eight. Mark sixteen fifteen and Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Any obstacle contrary to the authority, the power, and the purpose of God is either a mountain to be removed or a mountain of encountering, but no mountain is intended for you to circle. When Jesus brought the Egyptians out of Isra- out of or the Israelites out of Egypt, he had to get Egypt out of the Israelites. When he, brought the, when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, his intention for them was to get into the promised land, but they come to the mountain. And the mountain can either be a place of encountering God or it can be the thing that you circle. But that's not the intention of God for your life. Stop circling the mountain. If you find yourself living in the same patterns, the same, you just keep circling the mountain. God doesn't want you circling that mountain anymore. It's time to cross over. It's time to encounter God or speak to that mountain and say, You gotta get out of my life. I don't know what your mountain is, but the redemptive power of God. The redemptive power of God enables you to speak to that mountain and say, Mountain, be thou cast in the sea. I'm not dealing with you anymore. I'm not dealing with defeat. I'm not dealing with discouragement. I'm not dealing with this bondage anymore. I'm telling you, get out of my life. Or you need to climb that mountain and encounter God until you can speak to it. it. was when Moses went up on the mountain, he encountered God. And he was able to come back down the mountain and speak to the people. The man who was a stuttering, incapable of speaking to the crowd, had an encounter with God that enabled him and gave him boldness to say, Here's the line. If you're going to serve God, get on this side. Otherwise, good luck to you. And then God promises us refreshing. Pioneers. Pioneers come to the mountain. They come to the place, the place of impasse. And instead of saying, God... I don't understand. They start complaining. They look at it and say, what do I have to get rid of in my life? To speak to this thing or to climb over it? They get rid of whatever it is, whatever the weight is, whatever the sin is, whatever the bondage is, whatever the lie is. They deal with it. They lay it down and they speak or they cross over. You might be here this morning. And you would say, you know what, I've been staring down this mountain for a long time. (laughs) I've been faced with this mountain and it keeps glaring back at me and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. You feel like maybe you're here today and you feel like you have been drained of every ounce of spiritual tenacity and energy you have. I've got good news for you. I'm glad you're here this morning. In Isaiah 44, in verse 3, actually, let's go to verse 1. It says, yet hear me now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will keep you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Now, I just want to pause right there. God's saying, I knew you in your past. I knew who you were. I knew who you are. I know who you are today. And I know what you're becoming. So you can rest assured that God is not taken by surprise by anything that you're facing or going through in your life. He's got it all mapped out. He's, this is what he says to you. And you, Jeshurun, whom I've chosen. Anybody chosen of the Lord in here this morning? Amen. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, we'll have an altar call in a moment. Chosen of the Lord. Just, sure, just put your name in there if you're chosen. Just put your name, right? Plug it in. And you, Bob, and you, Vicki, and you, Lester, whom I've chosen. This is a promise for you. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Hallelujah. You know, A cup of water would do a fellow really good if he was thirsty, don't you think? (laughs) But God says, I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to do more than just give you a glass of water. I'm going to saturate you. I'm going to inundate you with water. I'm going to cause my river to flow through your life, through the wasteland, through the desert places. I'm going to cause uh, my river to flow through your life. You know, the Holy Spirit is a river. The Holy Spirit is a river, and He wants to flow through your life. He wants to flood your life. God wants to cause His river, the river of the Holy Ghost, to flow through your life. We had someone, we've had several people recently say, you know, there's a river flowing here at this altar. Do you feel that? And I said, I've been saying that for a long time. (laughs) Glad you caught up. there's a river that's flowing here and it's, it, you can't see it maybe in the natural but, but you definitely can feel it you know, there's definitely a sense it's the river of the Holy Spirit and He wants to touch your life He wants to wash away the garbage and the hurts He wants to bring you into a place of victory it's not so that you can sit on the sideline and say oh thank you Lord I've got my victory hallelujah hallelujah We're pioneering a great work. We're pioneering in this region. We're pioneering. And I want to encourage you to when you come to church, when we come together as a body, we come together to begin to proclaim the glory of the Lord. When we come together, we come together to intercede and to pray and to seek the Lord. When we come together, it's not about you, you ugly thing. As much as you might think it is. Y'all are getting mad at me. I'm just telling you the truth. When when we come together when you come together, when we come together, you should have whatever you needed during the week in your personal time with the Lord. It's not my job to give you what you need to sustain you. I'm not your personal chef. I'm here to equip you for us to come together. You to be equipped and us to come together as saints to declare over our city, over our lives, over our church, the excellencies of God. You're to come and to hear from the Lord, to be encouraged and built up. All those things are wonderful. When we we lay hands on people and pray for folks... It's an opportunity for you to get in, to press in and allow God to give you the equipment you need for the week ahead not to bring you out of your past. You know, if we spent, we had, we had someone say this to us recently and I thought, you know, that's an that's a interesting way of looking at that. I don't know necessarily where I'm at on that theologically, but, but I, like the, I like the idea and I'll think about it. And they said, you know, wouldn't it be they were, they were actually quoting John Lake. They said John Lake used to say if everybody came to church and stopped getting in the, in the prayer lines and ministry time just for a simple cold, that they were able to get the victory over their colds at home and the prayer lines became an equipping place for things ahead, the church would be in a much better place. <laughs> I thought, you know, I've never thought of it like that before. But when we walk in the authority of God and we recognize the power of God in our lives, we begin. And I'm not saying we won't pray for you for your cold. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> but the very cold, God's gonna say, you get the victory over your cold. I'm gonna heal your knee. <laughs> I think. I think if we were to come together as a body of believers, walking vi- in victory, walking in authority and began to declare what God's saying over our future instead of living in our past, we'd be in a much better place. Amen. We're pioneering. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330 762 7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father,